so evil we're gonna kill someone (laughs) on the show it's a snuff podcast (laughs) please let let that stay no that's staying in i want to start getting booked on other podcasts and kill them i think is what we need to do you should have killed spose i know why didn't you kill spose you had a perfect opportunity you're a poser you're not evil i mean it's time to decide if we're serious if we're evil or we're not we'd really take one for the team I mean, there's a fine line between quarantine and prison. I mean, what's I, the difference now? Yeah. Food is the difference now. Yeah, better. Three hots and Toil- a cot. Toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> toilet paper. I don't know what I'm going to eat next week. Calvin. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. We are back in the spider hole. I am the human Trentipede. I am here with Coven, Cut, and Grave. How's it going, guys? Hi. Um, there's been a little bit of a uh, change of mood here. Uh, we were going to, and we will talk about real killer music tonight. And uh, we have some fun stuff to get to there, some fun movies and some fun murder. But uh, we are in the other Portland, that is the Portland of Maine. And only hours ago, we received news of a lockdown order for the city of Portland. Beginning tomorrow, it is St. Patty's Day. Everyone is very afraid that all the dummies are still going to go out and pack every bar and restaurant and all give each other the coronavirus. So the entire city, any establishment where people gather, be it bar, be it restaurant, they mentioned gyms, is to be shut down all day tomorrow until 2 a.m., Wednesday. And then after that, we are looking at a citywide curfew of all the same establishments. They have to close at 8 p.m. so that crowds of dummies can't congregate and infect each other. Um, this is um, a little weird for us. We, we're up here in the middle of nowhere. We're pretty sparsely populated. There's no public transit. We don't generally, generally this type of stuff we we see from afar. We see it from New York City or Boston or um, California. Even it's rare that something like this reaches our far flung doorstep. So I think everybody's a little weirded out right now. Yeah, I mean they shut all the schools down this week. So in the entire state of Maine, there isn't a school that's open. So you've got all these families, you know, with childcare issues. Um, you know, one thing that came out today for my daughter's school is they're going to open up all the schools from 11 to 1 every day because there's such a high percentage of children that the only meal they get for the day is at school. Um, so, you know, it's not just weird and kind of scary for us. It's also bringing out and highlighting a ton of things that are super wrong with our society um, that shouldn't even be an issue, you know, during a during a global pandemic. Kat, you, you put out notice to me this morning that you weren't sure what kind of state you would be in tonight for this podcast. And yeah. and since that message, things have only gotten worse yeah. locally and worse personally for you. Yeah, I think what I texted you was, 
this is going to be my drunk episode where yes. I'm going to be drunk for this episode. And this is before, you know, all this stuff came out. I've just, I'm all, I'm a stress bucket anyway. I'm always like worst case scenario. So I, I think this is the perfect scenario for me where I've already thought the worst was always going to happen. And now we're kind of in it. Um, I'm a bartender. I work at a bar in downtown Portland and we luckily made, I mean, we made the decision. It wasn't like, luckily we, made the decision to close down after tonight just because we felt like it was very irresponsible of us to be open for those said dummies that would go out and keep drinking. And how were the crowds prior to, I mean, are people even going out to bars? I'm not. So I worked Friday night and I didn't prep at all because I was like, nobody's going to come out. Like I'm going to serve like four people and then I'm going to go home. So many people came out and they, I, every time I heard a cough, I was like looking around, like who the fuck is out here coughing? Like, and where I work, it's an arcade bar, um, so everybody's touching everything. Ugh. Everybody's touching everything. I literally, luckily, I had accidentally stockpiled uh, like sani wipes, so I'm just sanitizing every machine like once an hour. Like, but also, it was such a difficult situation because this is absolutely my livelihood this is the livelihood of my bosses this is a small business this isn't like a chain it's not like a domino's where you close down one and then you can just keep the rest open like this is all that we have and so making that decision as a group to close was very hard but we knew if we didn't like we care about the community but we also care about like the public's perception of us so if everyone's like well why is arcadia staying open during this like, why, why would they put people in harm's way? You know, we didn't want to go through that either. So we were close. I mean, we made, we made the decision to close anyway, but then at, right afterwards they made the So you're not, the you're not doing the curfew closing at eight. You guys are just closed, period. I mean, the, so the curfew doesn't start till tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So we just close, we're closed the rest of the week and, and then we're going to go from there. Oh, okay. You close the rest of this week. Mm-hmm. And then I think the curfew extends. How long is the curfew? Do they say two weeks? I don't know the exact date, but we'll obviously be closed until that date. But that was what we decided as so a So you won't open back group. up and just do the curfew where you close at 8 p.m. or something? No, because we Probably open not at 5. We're like, there's no real option for us to do takeout because we no. have a kitchen, but like nobody's coming there to eat food. It's like a bar and then you also get out? food. Yeah. Exactly. So... It's been a very stressful time for all of us. I took my severance package, which consisted of just a bunch of alcohol from the bar. <laughs> just, yeah, better than nothing. Yeah. not. I don't want to say severance. Like, it's not like we're fired, but that was my, all right, guys, I guess I'll see you in a little while. Damn. I'm in a position where I, like, eat peanut butter and jelly on the heels of the bread on, like, Wednesday because I got a gig on Friday. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. I just wait yeah. till Friday. And we we you know we've had tens of thousands of dollars worth of revenue just erased mm-hmm. in a morning. You know, it was just woke up one morning and the email was just full of cancellations. Mm-hmm. You have no you have no schedule now, Dave, as I understand it. Your schedule has been wiped off the map. No schedule for me for a while. Um, you know, it's all up in the air. Hopefully there'll be some sort of relief uh, for people because we're not the only ones. I mean, we're just, it's happening to everyone. Everyone is going to go broke on this thing. Yeah. This everyone. Be, yeah. This is the most trickle down. Like even, I feel like even the 2008 crash um, was primarily 
homeowners and people who had investments in the system, mm-hmm. if you were just a, a, a wage worker, an hourly wage worker paying rent, you didn't really feel 2008. You just still went about your wage making and paying your rent. This to me is like, that's going to be the brunt. I mean, all these other things will probably happen too, but this one goes, trickles right down to the very bottom. And that's us, the, mm-hmm. the wage workers and the rent payers we are fucked. Like, I'm not just worried about myself. I'm worried about my bosses who own this small business. Like, I heard a rumor of, like, a bill saying that all, like, small businesses with under 300 employees have to pay every employee two weeks, you know, paid sick leave. But, like, I would never take that from my bosses because they can't afford How that. How are they supposed to do yeah, that? If we're not open, right. where is all this money going to magically come from? So it's it's all very up in the air. I'm curious, though, how, you know, like you said, Trent, if this really does just take over everything and trickles all the way down to, you know, the bottom rung, you know, to your point, Kat, <clears throat> don't the landlords have some response that you can't just let every single one of your business go under. Mm-hmm. And then when we pull out of this thing, the building owners can't just be like, okay, I need all new tenants. Yeah. What I'm afraid of is that the state government, the federal government, that they're leaving this up to just pre-existing laws mm-hmm. and they're not stepping in to be like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Portland right now is putting together a, a building owners coalition or something to kind of get together and look at this. That would make sense to me. Um, but I fear right now that everybody has caught been caught so off guard by this and unprepared yes. that they're just it's the wild west and and hopefully we can turn that around. There's been talk of uh, foreclosure relief. Foreclosure isn't the word I'm looking for. Mortgage mortgage relief, right? Which would then hopefully be transferred to tenants. If you know if the landlord is getting uh, mortgage relief, then he can pass that or she can pass that on to their tenants. And I'm hopeful that as this, I mean, we're talking about now. People are saying August, July. This is not going to be some two-week thing, which I feel like is a way for people to sort of process. They say, well, we're going to close all the schools, all the businesses for two weeks, and then we're going to reassess so that everybody doesn't just lose their mind at the same time. Because it seems to me, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I could see uh, six or seven or eight two-week segments. It's going to be two weeks, and then it's going to be another two weeks Mm -hmm. and another two weeks. And, I mean, the president today was openly talking about July and August. So there's going to have to be um, – people are going to get socialist real quick if we're looking for silver linings at all. Um, people are going to be socialized, socialist marks. They're going to be, you know, doing all the universal basic income. Uh, people are going to flip pretty fast to understand that we're going to have to take some drastic measures to survive this thing. Portland is going to be bizarre. Portland, Maine is a destination town. It's a tourist town pretty much around uh, like year round at this point. Mm-hmm. It's not summer anymore. We've got cruise ships all year. We have the foodie destination capital of the Northeast. I mean, the whole city is just restaurants and bars and rich people go to them. Well, another thing to put in perspective is also that any port cities that get ships that come in from other places that we're more likely to have viruses break out here. I would yeah, I was going to ask the city about that like on Twitter or something like, "Uh, are we shutting down the cruise ships or what's going on?" They, but I figured they, they probably They did cancel yeah, the cruise ships. There were two yeah. two uh, there were two more that were scheduled to come in and they said those. Thanks, <clears throat> but no thanks. Which is good, but yet another no, blow you, to th- this whole economy now that we're in here in Portland. The whole economy is built on hotels, bars and restaurants. So, we stopped exporting lobsters. We stopped 
What? That's a big that's a big thing for me. They're also not prepared for just it on a, a health level. No. You know, if everyone needed an M16 right now, we could have one. But if everyone needed a respirator to breathe, there wouldn't be enough for everyone. No. And that's, I mean, that is going to be another surreal bridge that we will cross when, you know, Maine isn't set up for they're only set up for so many beds, so many, like you said, ventilators, respirators, and and care workers. Like, if this continues on a trajectory that many expect, I mean, you're, you're going to have not only you're going to have the hospitals overrun with the sick, but people are still going to get in car accidents, and people are still going to need mm-hmm. other health services. I mean, surgeries it's just are already scheduled that are going to be canceled. Disaster. The doctors I mean, are going to get sick. I was supposed right. to get yeah. my eyebrows nurses. microbladed today. Couldn't do that. <laughs> It's all coming together. Some first world problems. (laughs) You know, Kat, you mentioned an appointment to me. You had an appointment today, and then you didn't mention it to get. I didn't. You just said appointment like real cryptic, like, and I didn't want to be like, oh, what's your appointment? You know, in case it's like, you know, something you don't want to talk about. A procedure. A procedure. What was it? Getting my eyebrows microbladed. What's that? So I draw my eyebrows on every day. You guys are looking at drawn on eyebrows. Those are drawn on? I draw these on every day. So you don't have eyebrows? I have, like, the early 2000s were a very hard time for all of us, I think. So I have about this much eyebrow, and then I draw the rest on, because I overplucked them, and apparently eyebrows don't grow back. So No kidding. So I was going to get them tattooed on, if you will. I could give you a transfusion. An eyebrow transfusion. No, my, like I have, I would I have donate plenty of growth. Yeah, Dave's got would, caterpillars. Yeah, yeah I would have, love like, it if we could make that happen instead of me paying two hundred fifty dollars. What about <laughs> each of your eyebrows are me and Trent's mustaches? Okay, yeah, <laughs> Wait, this so, is, I'm fine with this. So they, they you clutch them so much then, yeah. that they went away. They won't grow back. And microblading is tattooing an eyebrow. It's, on yeah, you. it's like tattooing an eyebrow on, and like in a you know in a classy, in a very way. realistic way. Yeah, not realistic like, to me. I would never would have known. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. And that's why I do that because I almost came here without eyebrows because I was like, "Fuck it, who cares? The world Bob is Gildoff ending." Walks yeah. in. It's the wall. <laughs> but then, as I like looked in the mirror as I was about to leave, I was like, "Well, maybe I should. I'm going to look like a crazy person." I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, yeah. it would have been a lot. We got a lot of stress. There's a lot yeah. going on right now, and I don't, I don't need, need to see somebody without eyebrows. Into <laughs> 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 uh, the spider hole, Kevin. Is it uh, is it Coven nineteen or Coven? 19. Wow. That's what I'm wondering. Wow. Huh? Is that his new name? No, but, you know. It's COVID. Right, COVID, right. Co- with co- COVID? COVID. 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 Oh, is, is it COVID or COVID? I don't know. I've been That's saying COVID. I think it's COVID. Yeah. Does it really fucking matter? It's a little joke about, you know, in the movie when they try to pronounce <laughs> right. Coven, Coven. You know? Right, right. Yeah, then. but, Okay. That's a merit. That's a, a little, a little over, movie, over some heads yeah. here. Over some heads. That's fine. Um, Highbrow. One of the uh, one of the. Mo- <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was going to be a feisty episode. You're making bra- highbrow I jokes. Pluck. I do, I do some plucking. I got to. Um, if you draw your eyebrows on too high, do you look surprised all day? Like, <laughs> why are you looking at me like that, cat? Or like the arch goes too towards the nose. You look like a villain. Do you ever like a, yeah, in a bad mood, just like draw them on, slant it down. Like, don't mess with me today. So, uh, real killer music 
we watched some movies about real killers in music. We uh, watched Sid and Nancy, 1986. I thought this was a 90s movie, but it's actually, Ken, yeah, get your notes out, Kevin. Um, Sid and Nancy was 1986. Gary Oldman plays Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. People are probably familiar. Uh, the 70s punk band, British punk band. Uh, Chloe Webb plays Nancy, is it Spungen or Spungen? Spungen. In any of the interviews that I saw in some of the docs, it was Spungen. Spungen. Um, you have uh, Johnny Rotten, represented terribly by Andrew <laughs> Schofield. I, <laughs> I mean, thought so, too. What a joke of a performance that was. I would be mad, too. Uh, and an appearance by Courtney Love as their friend, Gretchen. And Guns N' Roses uh, were extras in the club scenes. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. Yes. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I didn't spot them. I didn't either, but I read about it. Well, the version that we watched, too, was this free version, or at least that I did, was this free version that Trent found on YouTube with subtitles, but not in English. Foreign subtitles. And, and it was, like, really grainy. I mean, maybe the film originally looked that way, but it was, I mean, I was watching it on, like, a big... HDTV and it still looked like somebody like copied a VHS and then played it in like a really old VHS. Yeah, it's such VCR. bad quality. You can't look at it too close. You got to step back and like yeah. squint your eyes to even <laughs> yeah. see what's happening on the screen. I actually broke down and um, I got thanks for reminding me. I have to cancel. I got a seven day free <laughs> membership to IndieFlix, which has oh, right. Sid and Nancy, and I have to cancel that tonight. Yeah, I didn't really like this movie. No. Um, I thought Gary Oldman was fantastic. I had never seen this movie, which you guys were super shocked by, and I, I am as well. Um, I can't fucking believe that Courtney Love is in this movie because the entire time I was looking at Nancy Spongin, mm -hmm. I was like, what's up with Courtney Love? And then it was like, whoa, there's yeah. Courtney Love. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a horribly done flick. Um, it, it, it came out that I think Alex – Cox was the director. Yes. Um, he ended up going on to do some work on like movies like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Which well, he, he was a writer for. He got fired. He, it, but that, start, that started to make sense to me when I watched – He did Repo Man before this. Right, yeah. in Repo Man. So that when I when I read that, the, the tone of Sid and Nancy kind of made sense to me. But I know we make fun of like the MTV horror movies and they cut here and there. But this movie is just batshit crazy. It cuts all over the place the entire film. There are very few scenes that gain traction, and then some of the big scenes that he tried to make, you know, sort of seminal, I thought he totally fucked him up and completely ignored some of the facts of, of this case or of this situation. I didn't mind the, the filmmaking in this. Um, I liked it um, having seen it 10 years ago and then 10 years before that because I really like – uh, the people who play Sid Nancy, Gary Oldman and well, Chloe, Chloe Webb. Webb, I thought they were fantastic. There could have been no one else in the movie and just cameras on them, and I would have been entertained by it. I thought Gary Oldman did a great job. And it's cool to see a guy you know as such an old guy being such a youthful, like, punk rocker. Kat, you, you were familiar with this one. Yeah, so I have seen – I saw Sid and Nancy – like back in my uh, like up the punks phase, you know, mm. when I was like 14, I loved Green Day. Um, and I thought that was, you know, a great film back then. I didn't watch it this time around. Instead, I watched um, a Sid and Nancy documentary called Sad Vacation, mm. which I was, that too. Yeah, which I think was, all of us did. yeah, yeah, it was very interview heavy with people that had been around them at the time. And I also listened to a couple podcasts um, about them. And what really stuck out to me. I mean, and you can probably 
see this in Sid and Nancy as well, is how much everybody hated Nancy. Just <clears throat> so much. She was, quote, unquote, the Yoko Ono of punk kind of situation. And that's portrayed in any any interview I read, any article I found, the documentary Sad Vacation, big time. They are mm-hmm. ruthless yeah. to her. And she, then, obviously, the movie portrays it. Yeah. She's just, like, the reason that Sid Vicious, you know— Ended up dead and the sex pistols broke up, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I kind of delved deeper into kind of Nancy's background. Um, One thing that I feel like is a little bit unknown is that she was diagnosed with schizophrenia at age 15. Um, Also, when she was literally three months old, she was um, subscribed fentabarbital. Three months old. Seriously. Because she wouldn't stop crying. So the doctors are like, oh, just give her this. This is great. So this would have been in the 70s? It's like in the 60s. Or 60s, Maybe late 50s. Um, But yeah, so that was her first introduction to basically being addicted to drugs. training your brain at three Mm -hmm. months old that you need this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where all of this started. So she really was not (laughs) set up for success, I will say. Sid and Nancy were together, and Nancy was found dead, stabbed multiple multiple times. One time. Well, it was one stab, sliced. I thought. Yeah, she was one stabbed. small puncture and right in her abdomen. But also, she had some surface cuts right, all I heard around all the, her body. All the cuts were very shallow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. except for the the one that did it. Sid was the number one suspect, and before his trial, he overdosed on heroin. It's a very Romeo and Juliet. Uh, of the punk scene. Mm-hmm. And Sid Vicious was the bass player, used that term very loosely, <laughs> of British punk band The Sex Pistols, which exploded. And it's it's insane to me to go back and kind of remember that for a band that was that influential, they lasted very like a very short time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sid was the bass player. Nancy was a groupie, they described her as, from New York City that, that came into London. And ended up, uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly reminiscent of Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. The entire thing. Absolutely. Like, you could drop Kurt Cobain into this movie, and it would almost be the same movie, except mm-hmm. we all know what happened with Kurt. Mm-hmm. I, I found her, um, I found Nancy, the portrayal anyway, by Chloe Webb. I found, I was so unbearable mm-hmm. that I, I had a hard time believing that the real Nancy could have been that unbearable. Like, mm-hmm. she's... Oh, come on, Sid. We oh got to go. <laughs> yeah, she's Edith Bunker from All in the Family. <laughs> and she. And she. But, but then well, you, but then you watch the documentary, and <clears throat> she was. And she was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. But at the same time, I could relate. I, I have had the girlfriend that everyone hates, and you know that everyone hates them, and they're, like, just obnoxious as hell, and um, – loud and brassy and annoying but you like them you just can't help that you like them and it leads to a very uh, the the attitude that you see here where it sort of leads to an us and them thing even though you kind of know on some level this person is unbearable but Mm -hmm. it leads you into this sort of us against the world the two of us well we don't care now like sid is he's so totally consumed with with her in this bubble he doesn't want to go to rehearsals. He can't go on the road without her. And everybody's just like, oh, my God, we need to kill her. Um, and then he eventually did. Oh. You think he did it? Oh, he definitely did it. Oh, I don't think he did it. 
So, so the the Sex Pistols broke up after a brief American tour. I think in the middle of their first American tour, and Sid and Nancy ended up moving to the Hotel Chelsea in New York City. Room one hundred. Um, room one hundred. Um, I think people like Bob Dylan lived there. I mean, all kinds of artists and legends lived there. Um, and there was one. I can't remember who gave the quote in one of the documentaries. They said, uh, out of all the the history of the Hotel Chelsea, Sid Vicious became his legacy in one night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because he stabbed someone to death. <laughs> so they're living in this hotel, and Sid is trying to launch a solo career. Um, they're constantly on drugs. And <clears throat> I'm questioning whether or not Sid did it. Who else do you think might have done well, it? They had a suicide pact. And that they always they always said that they would a lot of people think that she killed herself or killed her, or he killed her and they didn't have the guts to kill himself yes. after. Mm-hmm. That would be my theory. So one of the problems I have with the movie, when they how this all goes down is 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 they get in a fight allegedly, Sid stabs her, he's all fucked up and passes out, wakes up, and she has somehow crawled into the bathroom and bled out. Mm-hmm. But what what they don't show is in the movie, it's just the two of them the entire time. But in real life, there were people in and out of that room all night long. And in fact, Sid actually got up in the morning and went to get uh, methadone. Methadone, thank you. Mm -hmm. He went to get his methadone in the morning and even looked at her and was like, oh, she's passed out. And then came back, and that's when he found her dead. So some other random person just decided to come in and stab Nancy in the chest and kill her. She was for, very disliked for I no mean, reason. I mean, Jesus, the Sex Pistols were thinking about kidnapping her at one point to mm-hmm. get her away from Sid. Fair. So the other suspect, I think the other main suspect in this case would be Michael Mora, aka Rockets Red oh, Glare. Rockets Red Glare. Great, yeah. Yeah. Great name. name. What a name. Um, so he was their drug dealer slash quote unquote bodyguard. It's a hell of a combo. Yeah. Job title. <laughs> <laughs> I need one of those. Um, I mean, they obviously owed him so much money. And so that's like the only other person that they think that maybe he saw Sid, like he knew Sid's schedule. Like he would get up at 5 a.m. every day to get to the methadone clinic at 6 a.m. And then so he was like, maybe that was his time to go in and then just give her a stab. What's his motivation? Uh, she he had a that. ton of money on her for the first time in quite a while. That sweet, sweet like She was and managing and booking his tour. Mm-hmm. But they, they came into some money. I don't know if they ever say necessarily where it came from. But they all, all day and all night, they were calling like everybody they knew for drugs and trying Saying, to find drugs because they money. actually had loot. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so that could have been an option. I guess personally, I the one I've heard that I would believe the most is that Sid came home and they got into a fight and then like he was like, I'm going to stab you. And she's like, do it. Boo. And then like stabbed herself. And then they both didn't kind of realize the severity of the stabbing because it was just one stab, but it was like an, it was in the right spot. And it was deep enough. It wasn't for her to bleed out for them to be bleeding. Exactly, right. they were always fighting. <laughs> no, <laughs> always like they were into some S and M shit. To be honest, right. like right. and they would like cut, e- cut cutting. each other. Cutting. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, so maybe he was like, oh, whatever. Like she stabbed, and they're like, oh no. And then so they both go to sleep, and then they not nod knowing. Out. Yeah. Exactly. And then she, you know, crawls to the bathroom and goes from there. Part of what makes me think that maybe Sid did it is because of like. He was extreme his whole career because he's part of this this culture where whoever's the most rowdy and and crazy is 
is the best. Like he he took pride in not being able to play his instrument and just to be up there sneering and fighting someone in the audience with a bottle. Cutting you know, himself open. Yeah. So like you wonder if it was the type of thing where he just went to this crazy extreme and he just took it too far this time. Because mm-hmm. they were they were always bleeding. They were always uh, fighting. I, I just thought it was interesting anyway. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. The other side of it, though, is that a lot of the people that came into their room that night were saying that he was so fucked up that he was out. Like he could barely stand up. And they they were like, I don't see how how at all before five or six a.m. Whenever he got up to leave, how he could even function, like let alone stab somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I I, think I I buy the uh, sort of combo platter of Cat and Dave's theory here that there was just, I mean, you put a bunch of people on heroin, at they've hit rock bottom and they like to cut each other and they fight all the time and there's blood all over the place and they're in and out of of their minds all the time. I don't necessarily think that it was a homicide necessarily, but uh, whatever happened somehow uh, he stabbed her and like, maybe they didn't realize how serious it was. And it's just another night <laughs> that Chelsea went out, <laughs> little, little blood, you know, go nod off, you know, get some drugs in the morning. Uh, who knows? But um, I do know that one thing I didn't appreciate in this movie, um, hard liquor doesn't make you burp. You ever notice that like, Every time someone would like take a swig of whiskey and then they would burp no. like like it was a beer or something. Oh, if you take a big enough swig, I don't know. It's just air. I mean, it's just. Science. I just think of something like a carbonated like beer. Or you take a big swig of beer, you, you know, you have a belch. But I don't think you take a swig of whiskey and you burp. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Let's do it, guys. Um, the episode also, goes off uh, the rails. Sid, when Sid is in the hospital, isn't he watching Night of the Living Dead? I believe on the so. TV. Yeah, I, I might have, I might I have had that. In my I notes. wasn't one hundred percent, but I think when Sid is in the hospital at one point recovering, uh, he's watching Night of, Li- Night of the Living Dead, which is a little Easter egg for people like us. <laughs> There's actually no Sex Pistols songs in the movie, and the the whole film score was done by Joe Strummer of The what? Clash, and he they signed him up to do two songs, but he was so invested in the project, he did all the rest of it for free. Um, there is some Sex Pistols. Yeah, there's no feeling. Uh, oh, on the, on the soundtrack, I'm sorry. On the official soundtrack. Oh, for sure. Opinions. Sure. Right, just some, yeah, uh, just Joe some Strummer and Alex Cox worked together on a Clash movie as well. Yeah, that was one of the things I, I saw some comments from Johnny Rotten complaining about. You know, you, you hired Joe Strummer oh. to consult on the Sex Pistols movie. Thanks a lot. Yeah, what's, I can see that. What's Joe Strummer up to? He died. He died. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's Johnny Rotten up to? <laughs> I think he's he was... still doing Public Image Limited. Yeah, uh, like the new wave uh, music. You know, you know. I'm taking it from your expression. You don't like Johnny Rotten very much. Uh, I think the last time I saw him, he was on like some weird reality show, like a music. Maybe. Yeah. Thing. And Maybe. he's like, oh, I'm Johnny Rotten. <laughs> wow. At least he didn't kill anyone. Hey. I, I really like him as a vocalist, though. I did too. Yeah. I, love, I love John Lennon. I love I love the Sex Pistols. I mean, never mind the Bullocks is to me. I, is, is there's not a better punk record than Never Mind the Bullocks. I mean, you say never mind the Bullocks like in, uh, like Sandra, Sandra Bullocks. Bullocks. <laughs> Bullocks. 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 I, I'm not cockney. I'm not Never mind the Bullocks. Is that better? I just pictured Sandra Bullocks. Lots like. of Sandra Bullocks. Yeah, I, I might not just have speed. the local patois yeah. down. Okay, yeah. Trent, but, Trent cloning Sandra Bullock. I mean, there there isn't a better punk record than that, and that was one that I listened to a ton. Loved everything about yeah. it. 
And what do you think made it happen? It was meant to happen. Nancy always said she'd die before she was 21. <coughs> what would you like to happen now over the next, say, year or two? I'd like to have fun. What sort of fun? Any kind of fun, just fun. That's my object in life. Are you having fun at the moment? Are you kidding? Oh, I'm not having fun at all. Where would you like to be? Under the ground. Are you serious? also watched um i think most of us watched lords of chaos eventually right mm-hmm. and we watched the documentary until the light takes us uh, until the light takes us um i like better than lords of oh, chaos me too. as far as like the facts and you rarely see photos and footage of these guys um and yet some a bunch of it is in until the light takes us yeah this this is concerning um the Norwegian black metal scene in the from the like early 80s into the early 90s or mid 80s mayhem one of the central bands started in 84 and then um into the early 90s when the church burnings happened and a bunch of murders happened these guys all were very hardcore and very serious about black metal but until the light takes us is the documentary that's 2008 and that's sort of looking back on the aftermath of all this through the eyes of uh of, of uh, Fenris from Dark Throne, but the 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 basic idea of uh, Lords of Chaos is this band Mayhem. They were Norwegian black metal band, one of the first that were that came out of that sort of scene. A lot of bands led up to that Bathory and and bands like that, but. They all, like, killed each other and burned down a bunch of churches. <laughs> it is crazy. I, I was, like, found out about this only a couple of years ago because I was, like, getting into, like, some extreme metal kicks. And I was listening to, like, um, early American death metal and stuff. And I was, like, just trying to find the most brutal stuff. And then I think I somehow, like, ended up in a wiki hole and I found Mayhem. I started reading the story and I was like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait so wait a minute. They started burning down all kinds of churches in Norway. Yeah. And then one guy shot himself in the head. And then the other guy took a picture of it and put it on the album. And then mm. that guy got stabbed and killed by the other guy yeah. in the Super band. stabbed. It's, yeah. it's, an, it's insane. Yeah. When I first started reading about this, I was like, there's no way that this is way too good like to not be fiction. And mm-hmm. all of it, well, it depends on who you talk to. Most of it is real. It was very much marketing. And their marketing was that they were the evilest, or they were the most evil, um, <laughs> and they would go as they would go further than any other metal band. And this is where, and you know, it was a small scene. Like they're very segregated from the rest of the the metal world, so everyone seemed to outdo each other. They'd brag about, "Yeah, I just stabbed this guy in the park." Like, "Oh yeah, you did." You know, let's go celebrate by burning a church. You know? <laughs> Cat, what? what? What did you think of your foray into the recent history of black metal murder mayhem? I have listened to many a podcast 
on this situation. And so I've actually, I was a little well-versed in it before uh, we started. Well-versed is a loose term, let's be honest. I just, this act of like trying to be like the true artist kind of situation, um, it can, it's just seems to me like an, it's an excuse for people to just do fucked up shit and then try to use that as the reasoning. Oh, I'm just trying to be like the best black metal you know, person I can be, um, like him, you know, finding his friend shot and stabbed to death by his own hand. And then just being like, wait, before I call the police, let me get my, little, you know, get some picks. Let me get a quick pick yeah. out of that. It's a little stressful for me, I guess, but they're just like, they were obviously just trying to get this gimmick out of this situation, like the sadness that like, it's very sad when a young person, like they were what, like 21, if that, yeah, if that, when they killed themselves, like it's, and they, their friend, you know, Euronymous used that as, as the moment to, you know, kind of capitalize on their suicide to try to be like, well, we're fine here. Here's pieces of skull that you can wear. That's like. one of the most messed up. Scenes. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm, he got his. He got well, his, didn't he? So Euronymous is the guitar player of Mayhem. Mm-hmm. Dead was the singer of Mayhem. Um, I don't know if this is if this really happened, but in the movie they make it look like Euronymous finds Dead after he killed himself. So Dead was a very problematic. He killed himself young man. because he had a lot of problems, not sure, because well, he was trying to be correct. a gimmick. But one thing that they didn't show in the movie is in the movie they made it seem like they went right from this awesome gig. And then Dead went home and killed himself. There was a year between that where Euronymous apparently was just a dick to Dead the whole time Mm -hmm. and kept egging him on and saying, why don't you just fucking kill yourself? You're so depressed. So he comes home and finds him dead. And then in the movie, finds Dead dead. Mm -hmm. In the movie, they show him get into his truck and drive to the store to get disposable cameras. Yeah. If that really happened, holy shit. I don't know if he drove to the store, but he didn't call the police. He decided that he needed to take pictures first for the album cover of his friends, ostensibly his friends' brains. The Mm -hmm. actor who played dead in uh, in the movie was Val Kilmer's son. Wow. Val Kilmer, you know, obviously slayed Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not I literally. Did not know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and John Holmes. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Well, I really yeah. lo- I really liked the in Lords of Chaos the portrayal of Dead. I thought that was the one thing that the movie did best was it was a very uncynical and and very sort of haunting and sympathetic portrayal of this guy Dead, obviously not his real name. I can't pronounce it. Pele, I think was his nickname. Yeah. Um, Pell. Pell. Um, he was sort of like the Kurt Cobain of uh, Norwegian black metal, and he was very, um, very troubled to say the least. Um, he used to, he did de- he definitely did do the thing with the, like the dead bird in the bag. He would have like a dead animal <laughs> yeah. in a bag, and he would mm-hmm. huff it before the shows to get super evil. And he called himself dead, which I mm-hmm. I appreciate like. He would be like meeting people, like, "Hey, how's it doing? Hey, I'm dead." And, and then he, he would wish. bury his clothes, his show oh, clothes. Oh yeah, he buried yeah. his clothes <laughs> in them the ground for a so long. That he'd so smell like rot so, yeah, on stage. Yeah. I and, mean, and he made himself dead. I mean, that was like his mission in life was to kill himself, and he did it. Um, so I thought that 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 part of the movie was poignant, and uh, I appreciated that portrayal. Then from there, it gets a little 
That is the only. Yeah. That's the only. All of the people involved in this. Um, when you, if you see the film, there's everybody is based on a real, a real person. Right. Uh, the portrayal of dead in this movie is the only positive thing that any of them have said. Right. Otherwise, mm-hmm. everybody involved in this movie who's still alive thinks it's absolute trash. And one thing that, that it upset them a lot is the one thing about dead that is not true is he did not kill cats. Oh, oh, that's that right. That was the they rough added, part. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't. Yeah, apparently that was made up for the movie. I mean, you take like a very sympathetic character and just decide to throw that in. I just, I think that's kind of fucked up. I don't think anyone involved likes the movie. If they made a movie about me and then they were like, "Yeah, and he killed cats," that would be <laughs> oh, messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> right? Like, just because he sniffed dead birds does not yeah. mean Dave like, was a really troubled genius. But you know, on the side, he liked to go steal babies from the hospital and kill them. Like, <laughs> Well, and the the thing is, um, Euronymous, who was the the guitar player of Mayhem, who by some accounts encouraged Dead to kill himself and was a dick to him, um, and was later killed himself mm-hmm. by Varg, their bass player, also known as Burzum, is plays music under Burzum. Uh, he was the phony. Like Euronymous was definitely he wanted to present this image of like the extreme black metal, and they really hated they really hated American thrash and American death metal. They thought that it was they called it life metal and thought it was like, I love that line. poser stuff. And I agree with them because it had become so technical. The 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 heavy music at that time had become so technical and and show offy and showboaty and like these longer and longer songs and all this bullshit. And they felt like that is not evil. It's not heavy. It's not compelling. It's just a bunch of jerking off. And they were going to play real black metal and and invent their own sort of style that would be really evil. But Euronymous definitely, from my understanding, um, he was the phony. And then he made the mistake of letting Varg into the band, Varg, again, known as Burzum, and he was the real deal. He was a sociopath. Yes. Who, Varg? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So one of, the, one of my favorite parts of the movie is – when uh, Euronymous and the whole Norwegian black metal scene, they, he opens up Helvet, the record store, mm-hmm. um, and this kid comes in, and he's kind of like, you can tell he wants to like get the attention of like the cool black metal guys, and he's flipping through the records, and he tries to like kind of talk to him, but he's got a scorpion's patch on. Euronymous disses him so hard. I like I wrote down the note like, oh man, the kid with the scorpions packed. Ouch. <laughs> right. And then later on I had to flip back in my notes and be like, holy shit, that was Varg. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. uh, so so Varg, I, I I'm gonna I think disagree that Euronymous wasn't the phony. My take was that they were both phonies. Varg and is, it got to the you point. You haven't seen this because you haven't seen until the light takes us. Oh, so now we can't have a healthy debate because I didn't watch something. No, new. go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they show Euronymous, you know, as like this wholesome kid. He's got this good relationship with his sister. He's nice to his parents. They talk about that in the doc, at least the documentary that I watch. And it's almost like they got so sucked up into because, like you were talking, Dave, they, they were marketing themselves before they had music. As like right. the best black metal band. Euronymous was dissing all these other bands and his bandmates were admitting he'd never even listened to him. He was just out there saying, nah, they suck. We're the best black metal band. I think def- Varg for Kenneth, and we can get into him a little more, is definitely a sociopath. But I think they were both fucking phonies and trying to be the the, the godfather of this scene that was exploding. Well, I mean, Varg... It gives interviews. He's given a lot of interviews. A lot of them are in Until the Light Takes Us. But he went and physically burned down churches because 
uh, that was a religious crusade of his because of the way that he viewed he viewed Christianity as the root of all evil. That Christianity had come in and destroyed their culture, destroyed their religions, taken over their country with McDonald's and Pepsi. He, he's a very uh, a very cogent criticism of Christianity, especially capitalism and Christianity, um, and he hated it. He really, really wanted. It, he really wanted to react against it so badly that he started burning down all these churches, which was a big fucking deal. That was the main thing that he got in trouble for. Um, and then, Other than the murder? Well, and then he killed Euronymous. <laughs> Euronymous was a poser, and he needed to go down. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's just a joke. Just a joke. Um, his defense of that is, is hilarious, like that it was self-defense or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. Stabbed the guy 20 times yeah, or something. Tonight, later on tonight, I'll stab him. you in the back a yeah. whole bunch. I'll be like, man, Trent was really coming at me. I don't know. Me. He was coming at me. <laughs> Um, but he, but, but since then, I mean, Burzum has put out music, Varg has put out music as Burzum since then. I mean, he's my, definitely my favorite, um, cold-blooded murderer that I listened to. And a total neo-Nazi. Um, I would, I would, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call Varg a neo-Nazi. Um, I don't know that he's expressed Nazi sentiments. His YouTube channel's pretty out there. Well, and you, and, His and current he stuff. keeps getting it removed. It's, it's certainly, he dabbles in certain things that are adjacent to white nationalism, I would say. Sure. <laughs> well, sure. He, he, I mean, he gave an interview and he was pissed about the fact that a Jewish actor portrayed him mm. and went yeah. off on a whole yeah, He's crazy. Oh. Yeah, he is he's crazy. He's definitely crazy. But I mean, yeah. he also, we talked about this, uh, Nor, Nor, Norway has much different laws than, than America does, as most countries do, because they're way smarter than we are. Um, but these, you know, Varg killed Euronymous, you know, in this... Uh, we're assuming a power struggle um, for the Norwegian black metal scene. And he got sentenced to 14 years. 21. So 21 he did years. get the full sentence yeah. that you can. But his, but also his jail is not – it no. wasn't no. a jail. Like no, you he, can leave. It was no, a it's dorm. Norway jail. Yeah, it was yeah. a dorm and he still had yeah. his like keyboards and stuff and he was still making albums And releasing albums from, from jail. prison. And he only yeah. did nine years. Yeah. During the nine years, there was a group of neo-Nazis arrested because they were making plans to break him out. Mm. Well, that just might be because neo-Nazis are crazy. I was just thinking about – no, but no, but, but does – whether Varg is uh, racist or not or if he's a neo-Nazi, I mean he was angry that um, a Jewish person played him. I mean I'm not angry about it, but they had lots of complaints about the movies like that. I mean they made a movie about you and a Rastafarian with dreadlocks played <laughs> Kevin Kenny. Wouldn't you be like, yeah, that's a little messed up. That's not what I look like. I don't that's think not... we're talking about the same thing mm. here. You don't think so? No. Well, um, I, Varg is on the edge. He's a sure. sociopath, for sure. Yeah. He's a cold-blooded murderer. And, and also probably the most talented person that out came of all, out of the entire well, – musically talented. I would, out of, I, I would say Fenrez of Dark Throne, but they're the, they're the two yeah. most talented, yes. Um, oh, I had some – so I the back to the uh, the Norway justice system. Um, I, I wonder if it you know kind of perpetuates these guys living out there being like, oh yeah, we'll just murder some people to sell some records because I'm going to spend you know seven years in jail for it or nine years in jail for it. I mean, you stab a guy 23 times and you know in the face and the back and the chest. I mean, that's here you would be gone. You would get the death penalty depending on where you were i'm sorry uh 
Varg served 15 years, which is probably one of the longest terms you're going to see. Not 21? I thought he got the He the got max. 21, but they never they never served oh, their full term. Yeah. Okay. And then, so Faust, who's another member of the scene, who was actually the drummer of Emperor, yes. which is a very influential band, uh, he stabs a guy in the middle of the movie in the park, and he got a whopping nine years. Mm. Um, nine years for murdering a guy in the park. Or he might he might have gotten the fourteen. He, he served nine years. Uh, Gaul from Gorgogoth tortured a guy for six hours, drained his blood, and sang him Norwegian lullabies, <laughs> and got like six or nine months in jail for that. Yeah, but he was being homophobic, right? So and that's another guy he, he tortured. It. Yeah, maybe he deserved okay. it because he was a gay. See, you don't know what's you know. Yeah, you I, never I did, know. I did hear that Gaul was, you know, like Gaul is gay, I believe. Oh, Gaul is gay. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I and the guy was making some sort of homophobic. Right. They, I, I heard that all of his attacks were on like rednecks that were not accepting him. He lived way outside of, uh, what was it, uh, Espital? Espital. Oh. Was that where he lived? Espital. But anyway, yeah. Um, so I'm pro. I'm pro that. You're pro Gaul. I'm pro Gaul. I am too. I like I Gaul say. too. Yeah. So, but. So Varg had many uh, reasonings as to why he killed Euronymous. Um, he stated that Euronymous was telling everyone else that he was going to murder Varg. And so yes. he had to blah, 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 blah. And so <laughs> his reasoning for going to Euronymous's apartment to begin with is that he was going to show him this like record deal cancellation that one of Euronymous's like uh, – people on his record label was saying. So he's like, see, this person's leaving, blah, 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 blah. But he forgot to bring that actual contract. And so he said that's the reason that he was actually going into his building. And then Euronymous is like, it's three in the morning. Like, please leave. Like, we can talk about this tomorrow. He's like, no, we have to talk about this now. And then they get in. And Euronymous also forgot to put on gloves. Like, dry. Uh, sorry, yeah, Varg was going to put on, like, driving gloves to, like, not leave fingerprints. And then, you know, they got into a scuffle, and it's this whole fucking thing. I don't think there's much question that it was premeditated yeah. murder. But and I don't believe his, that Euronymous yeah. was going to kill him, but that this is no. his, his excuse. But, no, this, yeah. but he was just so stupid that yes. all he set up all of, these th- all of these things. Like, he rented a movie from, like, a video rental store. Die Hard 2. <laughs> was it Die Hard 2? <laughs> and then they didn't watch it. But they made sure to like look up the plot of the film. So if anyone else yeah, and <laughs> asked they, them yeah, about and it, they, they could yeah. tell. They them. drove like through the night to get there at yeah. three in the morning, mm-hmm. and the alibi is contract talk. Yeah, like you, no. you right. confronted a guy at his house he at was, three in yeah. the morning, and, the, and you killed him. I the mean, fucked up thing is, is Euronymous was in the process of signing over the his, rights his to masters. all of Varg's music so back it, to him. It made yeah. no sense yeah. whatsoever. He yeah. just this. wanted to fucking. Kill he just wanted to kill him. He wanted to like. Preserve his ego in this, like, fucked up, like, persona that he's made for himself by murdering this guy. He wanted to, like, he talked about how he wanted to, like, kind of outdo Faust's murder of uh, Magna in the the park by stabbing him 23 times instead of, like, the 11 that the other guy got. You can't give these guys a a reason. You can't give them a loophole, you know. You can't leave matches on the church steps. You need to like, you know, if you give these guys a reason, they're going to take it because they're all about who can do the most evil thing. And Mayhem, overall contribution, one album, certainly seminal um, and contributed all these deaths and stuff. But Mm -hmm. 
Um, the really the to me my my favorite black metal band is Dark Throne, and and the movie Until the Light Takes Us is through the eyes of Fenres, who knew all these guys and worshipped some of them, and his sort of dealing with the aftermath of like oh you know this whole cool scene we created everyone's dead everyone's in jail they're all a bunch of criminals. But he was just like a guy like me or you, you know. He he never hurt anyone. He never burned anything, um, and ended up creating arguably, I think, the best the best music of the black metal era. And so, if you listen to Mayhem, you might be confused when you're like, "What was the big deal with Norwegian black metal?" Because it sounds like a step back. But that's what made it, I think, such a big it, it deal. It was a reaction. They, they didn't went, like Napalm Death. They didn't they like, like that we, direction. We need to right. start taking it back to the roots. And so, it's not like it sounds kind of grungy. Well, they don't want um, it recorded well. Yeah. Um, right. They don't bike. want to do shows. They thought the shows were for posers. Yeah. They when, didn't even want to do shows. Well, they would show up to other band shows, and then at the end of the show, they would just decide to play to show that they were better than them. It wasn't <laughs> even their show. And I love the scene when Varg uh, goes in to record the Burzum record with Euronymous, and he just says, I just want one mic in the middle of the room, and that's it. Right. The shittiest one you got. It's going to sound like shit. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think there's any question anymore who is the evilest um, metal, um, what the evilest metal scene of all time. It's it's these guys, Norwegian black metal. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's come close since then. That's what's scary about the Norwegian black metal scene is that they're they're – they're prideful of everything that they do. I mean, you have Ted Bundy on the stand, and right until he was executed, not admitting to everything, saying, I'm, I'm an innocent man, you know, uh, and these guys are just wearing it on their sleeve, and they're proud of it. They're making it their album covers. They're bragging to their friends about it. That's even scarier. Varg does the big smirk at his trial when he's sentenced. He looks right at the right at the camera and mm-hmm. at the at the jury or whoever and gives them the big smile like Ugh. you know no absolutely no repentance whatsoever mm-hmm. i'm curious though because you know trent you're twice now you've brought up you know that you really feel like the church burning was like deeply religious or it was it was vengeful because was, of of their hatred of a certain religion cat you made it sound like this is almost a publicity stunt for me it kind of goes more towards publicity i, I think it was both yeah like it started with them, you know, we're going to erase Christianity completely because they did that to the Norse culture. Yes, you know? exactly. So it started with, you know, them stealing things and like cemetery like desecrations. And then they finally got to like, you know what? These churches are all made of wood. They're very easy and to burn. They're on top of our old churches. Yeah. Let's Christi- fucking- Christians came in and decimated, wiped out their churches mm-hmm. and built these other ones. And it's weird because personally, I don't ever associate white people not being associated with Christianity because that's just what it's my a brain weird, goes right? to, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You're they decimated your culture? Yeah. But I guess like Norse culture is was you, like the OG. That is a weird thing because you think of Christianity, you think of it as as colonizing. Mm-hmm. You think of it as a colonizing force in other places, you know, the Spanish Inquisitions and stuff like that. Um, you don't think of it like as colonizing uh, Norway. Yeah, that was kind That's of like a the weird whitest spin. place of all. Yes, you know. Yes, but I'm allowed did. to say that because I'm like like 20 percent Norwegian. So are you? I am. You sure about 23 that? 23 and me. Yeah. Want me to pull are, you it up? In, are you in the black circle? <laughs> Maybe. Can you introduce us? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Can you kill one of us? Oh, <laughs> yes, I could. You know, I just killed this song for. Yeah,
I'm in your dead, fool. Nothing but your murder, nigga. Uh, yeah, uh. Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger. Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and all of your friends are friends to school ya. The murder's a hobby, I'm losing a torture chamber, and not a Ruger. So if you wake up in a puddle of blood, nigga, I did it to ya. Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger. Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and all of your friends are friends um, like, I would like to point out before we start that my daughter saw my notes for this and said, Daddy, who's Big Lunch? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my name. Big Lunch. <laughs> So Big Lurch is a rapper uh, from Texas who ended up in Compton. I listened to his record. Uh, what's it called? Like All Bad? Or- it's called, it was called something else, but then after he got arrested, they changed the name to It's All Bad. Right. It's All Bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually liked his music when I listened to it. I was like, oh, he's kind of a good rapper. Um, and then – but as he didn't really have a chance to have much of a career. He got in a car accident. He injured his neck, um, began taking PCP and formaldehyde for the pain, and from there just spun out of control. Eventually uh, was found in the street covered in blood. Naked. Naked. He basically came to with the information that um, his roommate, uh, he had stabbed her and cut out her lung and eaten her lung. It's pretty, uh, pretty insane stuff. Yeah, Tynesha Isaias is how I heard it pronounced on the on the documentary. So this was back in two thousand two. Uh, this dude was six seven, uh, not a small guy at all. And there are a ton of uh, problems with this case. Well, we should we should mention. Speaking of being six seven, that's how he got the name Big Lurch. Because somebody came to the house one day and he opened the door and somebody said, "Look, who's this big lurch?" And he uh, said, "Who's this big lurch looking dude?" <laughs> yeah, as in the Adams family lurch. Yes. So then he took that on as his rapper name. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, really. Yeah, it goes with the spooky vibe yeah. he was cultivating. And I think he he had some some collabs with some pretty legit artists, didn't he? Like early mystical, on in his career, mystical probably being the biggest one. But like I said, he he was a good rapper. I mean, he wasn't complete garbage. I mean, there was a lot of garbage in the early 2000s. That's probably my least favorite time in rap music. And he, he was halfway decent. But I was actually surprised at how much funk there was. I expected it to be all dark and eerie when I listened to his record, and it was just funk. Well, his his first band, he originally he was in a band with two other guys, and they were called the Cosmic, uh, Cosmic Slop Shop. Yeah, because they came from a studio called the Slop Shop, and they took Cosmic from I think a Funkadelic record. So they were steeped in like real deal, like seventies funk. Cosmic Slop Shop uh, didn't go anywhere, and then you know Big Lurch had to strike out on his own. But so he was into he you know was in the genre of horrorcore, um, rapping about like serial killers and like spooky stuff. And I will say the uh, horrorcore genre started. With Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff with Nightmare on My Street. Wow. You are the, uh, so right. I was obsessed with that song because I was obsessed with that movie. Yeah. And I wanted to be a rapper. Yeah. No, that's every time Halloween comes around and that's on one of my weird spooky playlists, I'm like, nice. Yeah. I would call uh, I would call the Ghetto Boys. Yes. Horrorcore. Again, it's a scene where the record labels want you. To, if you're doing horrorcore, then you better be nastier than the other dude, and you better be more graphic. And 
and this was this was after NWA had already sort of pushed the boundaries of gangster rap as far as you could push it, and then some. Mm-hmm. So you really had to up. You couldn't just talk about like you know murdering hookers anymore. You had to yeah. get even more horrorcore with that yes. to get get people excited about your and, music. And I guess he so. went and he went there. And uh, in his trial, there were some of his lyrics actually used against him in the courtroom. But Dave, I think I think you should talk on this. The uh, the whole theme of all three of our stories tonight is it's almost like each of our our subjects, Sid, um, Varg, if you will, or Euronymous, and now Big Lurch. It's almost like they're trying to be like the biggest and baddest. They're like pushing the stereotype and the image. Um, you know, why do you think that is? Why is that a musical thing? Uh, I think it's probably because of, you know, how much pressure there is on the image of an artist and the aesthetic of an artist. And when you go on the opposite end of it, I mean, it's no different. I mean, Norwegian black metal trying to do things to enhance their marketing is no different than marketing uh, a teenager like Britney Spears to sell with sex. You know, there's artists out there that, are, that push the limits of what's comfortable sexually. Um, and it's no different when it comes to, you know, macabre music or, or really dark music. It even has made it to the mainstream. I would say that um, an artist like Eminem is horrorcore. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But well, although, what's his new album name? Music to get murdered by or something? Oh my God. I <laughs> roll. Yeah. Uh, although Ouch. with Big Lurch, I mean, he, he was on PCP. Right. So, you know, PCP does that to you. It, it, it recreates a lot of the symptoms of schizophrenia, um, disassociation, out of body stuff. I mean, I don't know that. To me, his story really is is more of a tragedy of substance abuse. He got into PCP after he broke his neck in the car accident and started using it for pain management. But and but PCP is not like a pain management. It does drug. because it, it disassociates the brain from the body. Yes. Okay. So basically, so your body. That's yeah. why. That's why you hear so many stories about PCP about like superhuman strength. Yeah. So, it, but it can work the other way too, where your body stops telling your brain, "I hurt." Mm-hmm. So you're just right. sitting okay. there like people oh, hurt themselves sure. on PCP because they don't know what the hell. There's no connection there. Right. So I think I think for Lurch, I mean, I wouldn't. I I would put it more on. The PCP, then. Yeah, well, you have you have Sid and Big Lurch that are both, you know, uh, just heroin. They've completely Sid. their senses are checked out, and they're doing something that maybe they didn't know they did. And right. both of them woke up like, "What the hell happened? What happened?" Mm. Where you have these the Norwegian guys who are just sober. They hate judges. <laughs> they hate drugs. <laughs> they're so sober. They, yeah. they look down yeah. on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. They're, they're like, they man, was, somebody got stabbed in the park. He's like, yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. admired, I admired him for it. Yeah. So, so we try to tie this to film. Big Lurch is obviously a stretch, but there was a documentary made called The Drugs Made Me Do It. I could only find like the first 15 it. minutes on mm-hmm. YouTube. Um, so I kind of had to go down the rabbit hole. And there's a, a Reddit thread called The Cannibal Rapper that if you want to know everything you can about this case, as well as how fucking crazy people are about mm-hmm. it with conspiracy theories, please take the time to go to Reddit and, and look up The Cannibal Rapper. But there is a whole theory that Lurch did not do it. Mm-hmm. 
because you mentioned Trent that after he was incarcerated and his debut album came out, they changed the title of it. Well, the person you're talking about that owned his record label and the rights to his music was also his fucking lawyer. So this is the guy that actually represented him in the trial, a guy named Milton Grimes. And the apartment that uh, that Lurch was sharing with Tynesha was uh, a trap house. It was it was a drug house. And when they found Lurch, he was naked in the street. They say covered in blood, but the actual police report says that he had a little bit of blood on him. But that's because he'd taken all of his clothes off. So one of the side effects of PCP is that it ups your body temperature and makes you very, very hot. So if you're completely out of your mind, you're probably going to take your clothes off. Um, they also said that there were no drugs, no money found in the house, where allegedly there were supposed to be tons of drugs and a bunch of money uh, from dealers. So Lurch was saying, you know, post-conviction, obviously, um, he was kind of like Sid. I think with, with Sid and Nancy, when they found Sid, he, he just admitted to it. He was like, I must have done it because he was so out of it. Uh, and with Lurch, he was, you know, in a PCP days and was like, well, I must have done it. Milton Grimes, who, again, record label owner, lawyer, he was accused of making a deal with the DA because he had other cases pending. And then shortly after Lurch got convicted, Grimes got a much lesser penalty on another case that was pending where he would he would have been uh, owed millions of dollars. And he ended up only owing like $1.2 million or something like that. So – I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Wasn't there a didn't Lurch's mom sue um Death Row Records? Well, yeah, she tried to sue Death Row. <laughs> no, that was the victim's mom. Oh, that was the victim's that was mom. The victim's yeah. Tanisha's mom. Yeah, it was Tanisha's yeah. mom. She, she tried to sue, but what was the other label? The record label, Big, Big Lurch's record label was Black Market Records, which is a subsidiary of MCA, mm. which is kind of surprising. She tried to sue both Death Row, which didn't go anywhere because they had nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the only record label she could think of or something. I don't know. But she sued the other label, she too. She sued Lurch's label, who his yeah. lawyer and, and Milton And said Grimes. that they, they had engaged in a pattern of encouraging him mm-hmm. to do these things like take PCP and encouraging mm-hmm. him to be and, – and there's where you get, again, more of this like marketing commercial stuff like, yeah, man, keep being crazy. Yeah. Keep taking PCP because it's making you like do crazy stuff and make crazy raps and that's what we're all going to make our money on. Yeah, and, and uh, so speaking of PCP, the amount that they found in Lurch and Tynesha – so I, I, I don't know a lot about smoking PCP, full really? disclosure. Uh, but typically what you would do is you would take one droplet from like an eyedropper – and put it onto whatever you're smoking. And the amount they found in both Tynesha and Lurch was way more than you could ever get from smoking it. Right, so it had the, to be ingested, like yeah, you drank so, it. Exactly, so that's what the medical... But again, like Sid and Nancy, and like uh, Lurch, it was such a like open and shut case where like, okay, Sid did this, okay, Lurch did this, that there were no real pushes on investigating any of those angles further. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about um, getting your lyrics brought up in court as evidence against you? I would not enjoy that. Yeah, and I don't I, think it's right. I mean, that's your your that's your artistic output. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be your fantasy. That could be uh, parody. It could be satire. I mean, it could be a number of things. Like you should not ever be able to bring that up unless you know. Say, Dave, I kill you. And I string you up a certain way very specifically and do all of these things. And I painted that last month. Okay. Let's bring that up. Sure. 
Sure. But like lyrics? No. I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand about song lyrics from any genre is that, you know, just like a movie or a TV show, the speaker of the song is often a character. Like the the speaker or the narrator of the song isn't always just a first person diary of the person singing it or who wrote it. You know, people often use, you know, sort of literary or artistic devices where they're speaking as someone else. So you can't really, it's hard to say, well, this person wrote this lyric. Well, you don't know what, you know, that was a character that they were singing as. Dave, you've done that many times. Well, I mean, just think of love songs. You know what I mean? If you take it to, to love songs, people write about heartbreak that probably don't have much heartbreak. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's and it's also like blaming Grand Theft Auto for real real life violence. Or it's when they come after the horror movies and say, "Well, you can't, you know, how could you do Hostel?" Look at the now stuff he was watching. He must have. He yeah, he was watching all these movies. Uh, boy, he really wanted to kill yeah, someone. Any of us ever become a suspect in a crime? And they dig through, especially now that the podcast is going. They don't have to dig far now. <laughs> yeah. We're going to kill people. No. We're saying it explicitly. <laughs> we're going to kill someone. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna kill somebody. Yeah. We're gonna kill somebody. Yeah. We're gonna kill somebody. Yeah. We're gonna kill somebody.